0: In our Bibles to John chapter 4. You don't have to stand, but it's something that we like to do when we read God's Word. So if that's something that uh, you feel led to do, let's do that. John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water." So if you remember uh, a couple weeks ago we looked at Nicodemus and I think John wants to lay these two characters side by side because this woman couldn't be more different than Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, if you remember, the ultimate somebody. He was on top of his world religiously, socially, economically. He was the ultimate insider, but this woman is the ultimate outsider. She's been born on the wrong side of the tracks in almost every character. First of all, it says, she's a Samaritan. If you look at verse 9, she's like, what are you talking to me for? Jews do not associate with Samaritans at this time there was this long history of racial hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans and therefore a Jew would never pass through Samaria one it was dangerous you might get killed but even more it was considered to be forbidden it was unclean second of all she's a woman and in that day men held all the power in fact A man in that time oftentimes would not speak to a woman in public, uh, and it's still that way in parts of the Middle East today. In fact, for a respected rabbi like Jesus, it was almost forbidden to speak to a woman in public. That's why if you even go to verse 27, we didn't read this, but when the disciples come back, they're shocked that Jesus is talking to this woman. In fact, a common Jewish prayer of the first century that that many Jews prayed regularly was this, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, but a Jew, not a slave, but a free man, and not a woman, but a man. And this is the world of Jesus. And Jesus blasts through all the boundaries of his day. He enters a forbidden place, has a forbidden conversation, drinks from a forbidden jar. All of this would have made Jesus unclean, yet he shatters all of these boundaries, all these distinctions, all these labels. Because Jesus knows people like Nicodemus are not as good as people think they are. And people like this woman are not as bad as people think they are. Because at the end of the day, we are all the same. We are all made in God's image. And we all have the same parents, Adam and Eve. And we're all born into their sin. In fact, think about what the cross screams at each of us. It first screams at me. That I am that lost, that sinful, that broken. That the God of the universe had to do that to deliver me. How can I ever think I'm better than anyone? And yet the cross also screams at me, Rod, you're that loved. God was happy to do it. So how can I think I'm any less? See, only the cross simultaneously humbles us to the ground and exalts us to the skies, which produces this humble confidence, this confident Humility. So right now, if, if you think that you're better than anyone or less than anyone, you don't really understand the cross. The cross is really the only place where all of us are on equal footing, which is why Christianity historically has been against racism, chauvinism, and all the different ways the world has its pecking order. And it's why the world has been simultaneously attracted and repulsed to our humble confidence, our confident humility, because deep down we know we're no better than the worst rapist and we're no less than the most honored celebrity of our day. Now look at how Jesus interacts with this woman. This whole thing starts when he asks her for a drink. (laughs) Here's the one with all the power And he makes himself vulnerable. He shows weakness, need. And it completely disarms her. She says back to him, you're asking me for water? And look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I love how Jesus is just gently taking this woman to her need. I mean, her need at this moment is the same as Jesus' need. They both need water. Yet for Jesus, it stops here. For this woman, that water, that well, represent a much deeper need. Now in this culture, getting a day's water, which was a very big deal, was done by going out to the local well, the local cistern, all the ladies in the neighborhood. It was a woman's job, so they'd all do this together. They'd do it early in the morning before it got hot. But verse 6 tells us that she comes at noon in the heat of the day. She comes alone. At the worst time, why? She's an outcast. It's not hard to deduct, then, that this woman is someone who feels unwanted, cheap, lonely. And it's into this that Jesus offers her water, living water. Look at verses 13 and 14. Everyone, Jesus says, who drinks this water will be thirsty again, the water from this well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them. Will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life now listen we're thoughtless about water we we, we don't even think about water if we're going to have water where we're going to get water i mean in my house alone i have six different levers that at any time um, i can twist and instantly have water but water in this part of the world is scarce not only is it a hot dry climate They only get rain two months of the year. On top of that, they have to work hard to get every drop of water. Every drop of water is precious. Every drop needs to be collected. Every drop needs to be stored. They're thinking about water every day. Will we have enough? When are we going to get it? Will we have enough for next week? Water is everything to them. Now, you read the Bible... Two kinds of water are described. First of all, there's just water, water that's collected, water that's stored in wells and cisterns. A cistern was just this big hole that people dug in the ground, and they plastered it, and and that's where they stored the town's water. It was stale, it was dirty, but it was water. Every drop of water is precious to them. But then there's another kind of uh, of water that you read about in the Bible, and that is living water. In Hebrew, it's the word main kaim. This is water that comes to us via a spring or a flowing river or rain. It's the water that comes to us from the hand of God. So in a culture where every drop of water is precious, living water is most precious. And David is the first to use living water metaphorically to describe God. In Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you. Psalm 63, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Passionately I seek you. My body longs for you. My soul thirsts for you. In this dry and weary land where there is no water. And David writes these psalms when he's running for his life, when he's in the desert. His whole life has become desert. He's lost everything. And in this, he says, God, my soul thirsts for you. You are the water that my soul craves. You are the water that satisfies me. Today, our world has become... A dry and weary land where there is no water. People are thirsty. Why is it that we constantly crave and devour stuff as fast as we can? Relationships, pleasure, food, sports, sex, job, accomplishments. And yet, when it's all sudden done, our thirst remains. We need more, and we need more, and we need more, and we're unsatisfied. What is our problem? Well, God says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, he says, My people have committed two sins. First, they have forsaken me, the spring of Kaim, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you hear what God is saying to a thirsty world that's dying of thirst? I am, myim kaim, living water, this gushing spring. Because whether we know this or not, God made us for himself. God made us to drink of him. Unless we get God into the center of our souls, we will die of thirst. And this is why God in Jeremiah 2 says, why are you drinking this stale cistern water, this dead water that just leaves you unsatisfied when you could be drinking this gushing spring of Maim Kayim? Do you know that whenever God establishes his living room on earth in the biblical story, there's always Maim Kaim, living water flowing out of that space? In Eden, God's first living room, Four gushing rivers flow out of that garden. Mount Sinai. Every day, water gushes from that rock. In fact, the New Testament says in that rock that all of Israel drank from every day was Christ. On the Temple Mount, where God made his living room for hundreds of years, you have the Gihon Spring, Gihon literally means gusher. And then think about what the prophets said about the final temple in, in New Jerusalem. Ezekiel 47 paints this awesome picture. The the new temple in, in the New Jerusalem, there's going to be this trickle of water that's going to flow out of the temple and it's going to flow down the southern stairs. And soon it's going to become a creek. And then it's going to make its way into the desert. And by the time it gets to the desert, it's going to be this flowing river and it's going to make its way all the way to the Dead Sea. And what Ezekiel then pictures is everything this water touches will come to life. Isaiah 35 says the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. The mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the burning sand will become a pool. And the thirsting ground bubbling springs. (laughs) This is the hope of the resurrection, of God making everything new, of our world coming back to life. And it will be done through his living water. That's why when you get to the very last chapter of our Bible, Revelation 22, which is our ultimate hope, where the whole world is going. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the, lamb, from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is the living water that Jesus is talking about. This is the water that he offers it's the water that will cause our deserts to bloom. It's the water that will raise all the dead stuff back to life. So, when Jesus offers this woman living water, hear what Jesus is saying I am this water. I am everything your soul thirsts for. I am it. I am God. I am God's living room and I can raise all the dead stuff back to life. But if you look closely, she still isn't comprehending all this. She's just still thinking about water that she needs to wash and clean and cook and drink. Look at verses 16, 17 and 18. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is is quite true. Sir, the woman said, You are a prophet. At this point, it just feels like Jesus just changed the subject, but this is the brilliance of Jesus. He just put his finger on her real thirst. And he goes right to her area of woundedness. He puts his finger on the most sensitive, vulnerable spot in her life, her shame, when he says, go get your husband. Now, why does Jesus expose this woman's inner life like this? It's because Jesus has set his sights on this woman's conversion and he wants to get to her heart and the quickest way to the heart is through a wound and it's through her wound that Jesus exposes her spiritual thirst. Woman, you've had five husbands and the man that you're now sleeping with is not your husband. You hear what Jesus is saying? Go get your broken cistern that holds no water. Go bring that back to me. In fact, this is probably a, a woman who has spent much of her life exchanging sex to quench her thirst for security and genuine relationship. And in this, it has left her profoundly wounded. She's a woman in pain, and Jesus puts his finger on that pain on her real thirst, and he does it with such grace. Can I ask, are you thirsty? In this season of virus, God is exposing a lot of broken cisterns. What broken cistern is... is, Jesus putting his finger on in your life? What kind of wells have you been digging that you think will satisfy? Or when you get a spare moment in the day, because I think we're getting a lot more of those these days as well. Where does your mind go? What consumes your thoughts? What fills your time? What does your heart turn to? Because... William Temple said, your religion is what you do with your solitude, and God has pushed a lot of solitude in our lives these days. Tell me, what is it that you're turning to? Where does your heart go? Because William Temple would say, that's your real God. That's your real Lord and Savior. That's where you're trying to draw water. Or consider your wounds for a moment. Because we all have them. And our wounds oftentimes lead us to our thirst. And they expose all the ways in which we've tried to quench our thirst. They reveal those cisterns that we've all dug that are broken. Maybe it's the wound of failure and you spend your whole life trying to prove that you're a success. Maybe it's the wound of rejection and you try so hard to be loved. Maybe it's a father wound and you live your life trying to prove yourself to be worthy, desirable. It's into this that Jesus boldly declares I am living water, mime kaim. I am the only thing that will truly satisfy. Do you know this? Because I don't think there's anything more depressing than digging for satisfaction in a job and a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and your team winning a championship. I mean, how despairing is it to dig deeper and deeper into money and friends, accomplishments, pleasures, the latest fashion, the latest toy, fame, sex, looks, likes, yourself... Only to come up wanting again and again and again. Why do we insist on drinking from broken cisterns when God offers us Maim Kaim? C.S. Lewis says this in The Weight of Glory. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased. Do you want the the water that Jesus offers? Do you even know how to get it? Do you know how to drink it? It starts with realizing how thirsty you are. Only those who are aware of their deep, deep thirst drink this water and are satisfied with this water. Because the way it is with God. All you need is need. The only thing that we can offer God is our thirst. And see, this is why it's so hard for the Nicodemuses of the world, the people who are on top, the the, the people who are on the inside, who think they need nothing because they have everything. In their pride and their self-sufficiency, it's really hard for them to recognize their need Because in their minds, they have a thousand and one cisterns and wells from which they can draw, but not this woman. She's desperate and she's thirsty. Maybe God has unleashed this virus so, like this woman, he could just get us alone. Where we're stripped of all of our false saviors where we hear him say to us, go get your husband or go get your career or go get your boyfriend. Go get the thing that you've plunged your life into that you think it'll, it'll satisfy and bring it back. I love this woman. I want to be like this woman because she is so quick to recognize her thirst. And when Jesus offers, comes, she just says, I'll take it. Give it to me. Are you thirsty? Are you desperate? Not only must we be thirsty, but we must also see that living water is a gift. Verse 10. My kaim is not something that I need to earn. It's not something I need to work for. It's not something that I need to perform perfectly to get. It has nothing to do At the end of the day, with how good I am, it has everything to do with how good God is. It's it's His gift to us. And while this offer is, is free of charge, it did cost Jesus everything, everything to offer it. Because what ignites this whole conversation? Jesus starts off by saying, I'm thirsty. And it's not the last time that Jesus is going to utter those words. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus again will say these words as he hangs on a cross. I'm thirsty. And he's quoting Psalm 22, which we looked at on Good Friday, where, where it says, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my and the tongue sticks... To the roof of my mouth, I'm thirsty. And we know that this psalm begins with Jesus' first words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the thirst Jesus is talking about. He's dying of thirst. See, Jesus did not go to the cross to get scourged, beaten, mocked, pierced. Other people could do that for you. In fact, Jesus did more than die for you. Other people could die for you. He did what only Jesus could do on the cross. He went to hell for you. He became thirsty so he could offer us living water. In fact, John's gospel gives us one little detail at the cross. In John 19, verse 34, it says, One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Maim Kaim flows forth from Jesus. He is the temple, the living room of God, from whom Maim Kaim flows into our world. And how do we drink this water? We come to Him thirsty. Knowing that what he offers is a gift. In the way that we drink, a few chapters later in John's Gospel, John 7, Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever places their trust in me, as Scriptures has said, streams of myim kaim will flow from within him. We just have to place our trust in him. And so many people think, oh, i got to muster up all this trust. I need to create this faith that they don't have. Listen, we don't have to manufacture a faith. All we need to do is transfer the trust that we've placed in our broken cisterns and in ourselves and place it in Jesus. As David said, oh God, you are my God, passionately, I long for you. My soul thirsts for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. You know what I love about this woman? She runs back to her village and she says, I found it. I found the living water. And there's a little detail there that John thinks is important. It says, she leaves her water pot. This woman came to Jesus as a broken, hurting, wounded, unwanted person. And she leaves her old life of drinking from broken cisterns. And she leaves Jesus, a changed person. Because she found water from a different well. Living water. Mime Kaim. You can be this woman. In Him, our thirst can be quenched forever, <laughs> making us forever. And think about what it says in Revelation. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. For those of us who place our trust in Christ, this is where it's all going. And so let me end with what the old 7up commercial said. Obey your thirst. Happy Resurrection.